Good morning. Today's reading is from Wayne Arneson, How Shall We Be Healed? The Gospels are full of stories about Jesus' healing. The healing stories represent some of the most moving images in Scripture. They are the most important miracle stories that were used to convince the world that Jesus was the Son of God during the first five centuries of the Common Era. They are the stories that the Unitarians of the 19th century disputed as being any legitimate proof of Jesus' authority. They are stories that have been an inspiration for generation, generations of Christian healers. It is no wonder that 20th century Unitarian Universalists have had a lot of trouble with healing in, the, in a religious context. What we usually dismiss as faith healing is contrary to almost everything that we usually place a lot of stock in science, reason, and self-reliance. Most of us are people willing to put ourselves in the hands of doctors and pharmacists when we are ill. Most of us have mostly good experience with the medical model of healing. We take whatever pills we are told to take and see the doctor in the morning. Most of the time, we feel better. Or we accept the surgery and we see a whole lot of doctors for many mornings. Most of the time, we feel better. But around the edges of our lives, we are aware of the disease that doesn't respond, the injury that won't get better, the illness that can't be cured. Whether it's AIDS or cancer, whether it's schizophrenia or depression, whether it is a stroke or Alzheimer's, we are all aware of the limits of medicine. For some of us, the edges become the center. When disease or injury takes over our lives and leaves us with no hope for a cure. Finally, no matter if the edges ever move to the center, we remember at last that there is one condition we are absolutely sure will never be cured, and that is life itself. We are mortal. Our death is inevitable. Medicine may win a lot of battles, but it will always lose the war. How, then, shall we be healed? What does it mean for us as religious liberals to talk of healing in a religious context? What does it mean to talk of healing in a world where illness and disease are understood more clearly than ever before, but where adequate health care for most of the world's people remains inaccessible? What does it mean to talk of healing when medical and spiritual models of wellness don't speak much to each other? What does it mean to talk of healing when all too often the best we can do with all our knowledge and power and technology is not enough? How shall we be healed? David Pyle reminds us that we each have the capacity to break We each also have the capacity to heal. And we each have the capacity to participate in the healing of others. Like Clara Barton, some dedicate their lives to this healing, to seeing the woundedness and the brokenness in others and helping them to summon whatever capacity they have to heal. And today I thought that we would spend some time honoring those who spend their lives healing others, those who, who 
dedicate themselves, dedicate their lives, their educations, and their actions to addressing the brokenness of others. And it occurs to me that the best way that we can honor all of those people, including those in our midst who are healers, spiritual healers, emotional healers, physical healers, is by making this a community of healing. This past week, Eric and I took our parents to see the Book of Mormon. I won't give away the whole plot, lest you want to bid on the opportunity to see it next week at our auction. But there is one take-home message that I think is worth letting you in on. Religions are only worth something if they address the real-life pain of their people. Ralph Waldo Emerson taught us much the same thing in 1838 when he told the senior class at Harvard Divinity School of a preacher whose sermon had no connection to the lives of the people in his pews. He wrote, A snowstorm was falling around us. The snowstorm was real, the preacher merely spectral. And the eye felt the sad contrast in looking at him and then out the window behind him into the beautiful meteor of the snow. He had lived in vain. He had no one word intimating that he had laughed or wept, was married or in love, had been commended or cheated or chagrined. If he had ever lived and acted, we were none the wiser for it. The capital secret of his profession namely to convert life into truth, he had not learned. I believe that addressing the real human pain, the pain that comes every day with living, makes us a healing community, makes our religion a religion worth being in, because we are addressing the real life, everyday pain of our people. And so I ask, what does it take for this community to be a community of healing? What does it mean for Unitarian Universalists to talk of healing in a spiritual sense? Now, Wayne Arneson is right to let us know that there are many different models of healing. I've heard Unitarian Universalist congregations sometimes derisively referred to as hospitals for the spiritually wounded. And the hospital model, the hospital model is in fact one model of healing. When you're really sick, you go to the hospital, and the experts in the hospital do whatever they can to make you better so that you can leave it. The hospital model is one, is one model of healing, because the goal, the goal in that model is to get you out the door healed on the other side. That shouldn't be the goal here in this community. We walk into this community broken in various ways all the time. Sometimes for the first time, we come into this community with hurts and wounds from things that have happened in our lives. Sometimes we come in with fresh hurts and wounds, even though we've been here for years and years. Sometimes old hurts and wounds are reopened. And in a healing community, in a community of faith that is a healing community, we take care of one another we understand what it means to heal one another. And we hope, we hope that once we are healed, we remain in community with one another, understanding that life will deal us out more hurts down the road. 
we become a community in which we can share the healing and, and get to know one another and connect with one another in a new way. We are all broken in some way. We all have been broken in some way. And each of us has healed in some way. We might not have healed all the way. We might just be beginning to heal. But each of us has healed. Each of us knows healing. And part of what we do here in this community is we help each other summon the healing powers that are within us to put to, put to work in our lives on our spirits, in our souls. Our brokenness, though, can be an opportunity. Jewish feminist, New Age storyteller, and cancer survivor Dina Metzger writes about this. She writes, These diseases which afflict us out of season are sociological, political, psychological, and spiritual events. Of course, diseases also have internal and personal causes, genetics, one's own constitution, history, circumstances, as well as external and impersonal causes, viruses, bacteria, environmental pollution, etc. But disease is also something else, very mysterious and powerful. Disease is an image of the world in which we live. And disease is often the means that calls us forth as healers. Understanding cancer, for example, as imperialistic, has helped me, this is Dina Metzger writing, to see the relationship between the personal and the political. So illness, as it afflicts us and breaks us down, also enlightens us and presents us the means to heal far more than it has undermined. Illness offers us the ability to heal our bodies, our lives, and our world as well. David Pyle quotes Ernest Hemingway, as saying, sometimes we emerge stronger in the broken places when those broken places have healed. But sometimes it's our brokenness itself that is a gift. There's an ancient Hindu legend that you might have heard of a water bearer who walked up and down the hill from his master's house every day, and he went down to the, to the water to collect, he went up to the river to collect water every day, several times a day, to bring the water back up the hill to his master's house. And he had two pots on a stick that he carried. And one of those pots, one of those pots had a big crack in it. And, you know, in legends, pots talk to you. So, so the pot and, and the water bearer were having a conversation one day, and the pot was apologizing for having this big crack in it. The pot was saying, you know, I know that that the other pot, the other pot doesn't have a crack and you get to the top of the hill and you have a full pot of water, but I have this crack and you get to the pot, the top of the hill with me and you only have half a pot of water. You have to do twice as much work to get water up the hill with me. And the water bearer turned to the pot because, you know, in legends, people talk back to their pots. The water bearer turned to his pot and said, well, perhaps you haven't noticed the flowers that are growing alongside the path. And the pot said, well, yeah, I've noticed. But, you know, I just figured they grew there. And the water bearer said, well, perhaps you haven't noticed that on the other side of the path, there are no flowers. You see, I've known all along that you have a crack and that you leak water as I walk up the hill. And so I planted flowers alongside the the side of the path where you are, and you water them as we go up the hill. 
And those flowers, those flowers provide beauty to my house and to the master's house all year round. And if you didn't have that crack, those flowers would never grow. In religious community, we understand sometimes that the cracks and the woundedness also present opportunities. They present opportunities for us to interact with one another, to create deeper relationships with one another. Part of the purpose of religious community is to offer a place where healing is possible. And that healing is possible only if we are willing to engage in the work of building relationships with one another, to talking with one another, to sharing our stories with one another, and to deeply listening to one another. Our affiliated community minister, Rebecca Sala, who's here with us today, is actually engaged in a project to help us institutionalize this in this community. We're hoping to train people, specifically lay people in the congregation, to, to do that sort of pastoral listening, that sort of deep listening that is so necessary for the healing of spiritual as well as physical pain and hurt in our world. And we need people who are willing to spend some time doing that. And if that's you, if by the end of this, this uh, worship service you say, you know what, I want to be on that team of people who are trained to, to do that sort of pastoral listening, Rebecca will be happy to sign you up after the service. The Reverend Dr. Tandeka, Unitarian Universalist theologian, talks about forming small group ministries in our congregation. And in doing so, she writes... Our bodies matter. They are the way we experience sacred time. I learned this hard lesson several years ago, she writes, when I accidentally slammed a door on my finger. My finger pulsed with excruciating pain. I did everything I could to ignore the pain, but it didn't go away. I was with a friend who unknowingly had walked around on a broken leg for three years, because her doctors had mistakenly assumed that the source of the problem was elsewhere. So my friend learned how to deal with pain all the time until her leg injury was finally surgically corrected. Now my friend saw me trying to pay attention to everything in the world except my throbbing finger, and she said, stop. Pay attention to the pain, she said. Concentrate your entire attention on the pain. Because your body is trying to tell you something. It's signaling distress, danger. Your body is trying to tell you to get out of harm's way. The pain will decrease as your attention to it increases. Your body wants to make certain that you have received the message. Tandeka continues, I stopped everything I was doing. I gave up all the distractions and I concentrated my full attention on the pain so that my body would be satisfied that I had received its message of distress. As I did this, quite to my surprise, the pain began to subside. My fingers still hurt, but not as much as before, because now I felt the rest of me. I was fully present in this moment. My finger was now part of my full life again, and my whole life was wider than this immediate pain, and the rest of my life my stress level was reduced. This is why small group ministry, Tandega writes, dissolves stress. In our groups, we pay attention to aching souls. And that attention is healing. 
She concludes, the power that sustains our faith turns our small group ministries into spiritual practices that can heal and transform the world. The power that sustains our faith. The power that sustains our faith is the power of relationship. It is the power of connection. That is the power that sustains our faith. And when people commit to forming circles in which they can share everything in their life, they can share the pain, they can share the joy, and they know that others are there to hear them. Those connections are made. Those connections are made, and the power to sustain our faith, the power of relationship, turns into a transformative power. It turns into a healing power. And so in the context of religious community, we can come to recognize and to name our brokenness. We can come to pay attention to it, to talk about it, to share it with one another. And just as Tandeka came to realize that concentrating on the pain in her finger allowed it to go away because it dissolved into a completeness of her being, in the context of covenanted community, in the, in the, in the context of religious community, in the context of healing community, we understand that sharing our pain concentrating on it, understanding it, naming it, and sharing it, puts it into the fullness of our being with one another and allows it to dissolve slowly sometimes, but surely. We also can be a community of spiritual practice, spiritual practices that sustain and support healing, spiritual practices that concentrate on the integration of mind body and soul, the integration of ourselves with something beyond ourselves so that we understand that we are not alone in this universe. Sometimes those spiritual practices are done alone, and sometimes they are done in community. After our worship service today, you will have the opportunity to engage in a spiritual practice of community building at the Committee on Ministries No Ulterior Motives Luncheon. We're going to have lunch for you after the service, and Donna Renfro, our amazing director of religious exploration, is going to lead us in a community exercise um, of just getting to know one another. It's an exercise that is um, open to you, whether you've been here for 50 years or 50 minutes. It is an exercise that is open to you, whether you are a small child or an elder in our community. It will be a multi-generational open community building exercise and it will solely be for us to get to know one another a little bit better for us to form those connections to form those connections that form the basis of community in which we can bring our full selves community in which we can heal sometimes those spiritual practices happen in community Together And today we are going to have a chance to experience one. But I'd like to invite you into another, another sort of spiritual practice that you can do on your own if you want. It's one that you might have, have experienced before. And so as we end our, our thinking about what it takes to be a healing community, I want to invite us into a Buddhist loving-kindness meditation. It's possibly something you're familiar with. It might be something new to you, so I want to invite you to take a few deep breaths, to relax your body, to feel your energy settle, 
to be in the present moment, if you feel comfortable doing so, to close your eyes, to plant both of your feet firmly on the floor in front of you and feel your connection to the ground under yourself. Take a few deep breaths and be in the present moment. And think about a few phrases that might emerge from your heart to express something that you wish most deeply for yourself. If none come up, think of these. May I live in safety. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live with ease. And gently repeat these phrases over and over again. Concentrate on them. Have your mind rest in the phrases. Whenever you feel your attention has wandered, repeat that to yourself. May I live in safety. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live with ease. Breathe and think of those phrases a few times. I invite you now to call to mind someone that you care about, a good friend, someone who's helped you in your life, someone who inspires you. Visualize them, if you will, or repeat their name to yourself quietly. Get a feeling for their presence, and then direct those phrases of loving kindness directly to them, as if they were sitting in front of you and you were speaking to them softly. In your mind, repeat the phrases, May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Breathe deeply and repeat those phrases to that person you care about. Now I invite you to call to mind someone you know who's having a difficult time. Someone who might have experienced a loss or a painful feeling, a difficult situation. Someone you know who is dealing with pain right at this moment. I invite you to bring them here, to visualize them sitting in front of you. Repeat their name in your mind to yourself. Get a feeling for their presence and offer them these phrases of loving kindness. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Breathe deeply and repeat those phrases to someone you know who is in pain right now. I invite you now to think of someone who plays a role in your life, some function you don't know very well, someone you don't have a particular feeling for or against, maybe the checkout person at the supermarket where you shop or the attendant at the gas station where you stop, someone you see periodically in your life. Bring someone like that to mind, someone you don't know very well, and imagine them sitting in front of you and offer them the phrases of loving kindness. May you live in safety. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Breathe deeply and repeat those phrases to this person who you don't know so well. We connect into these phrases 
we aim our hearts in this way, and as we do so, we open ourselves to the possibility of including rather than excluding, of connecting rather than overlooking, of caring rather than being indifferent. And ultimately, we open in this way to all beings everywhere, without distinction, without separation. May all beings live in safety. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings live with ease. All people, all animals, all creatures, all those in existence near and far, known to us and unknown to us. All beings on the earth, in the air, in the water, those being born and those dying. May all beings everywhere live in safety, be happy, be healthy, and live with ease. Feel this energy of this aspiration exceeding, extending infinitely in front of you, out either side of you, out your front, out your back, above and below you. And as your heart extends outwards in a boundless way, leaving no one out, may all beings live in safety, be happy, be healthy, live with ease. When you feel ready, I invite you to come back, to open your eyes, and to see if you can bring some of this energy with you throughout this day. Bring some of this energy with you in this community and outside this community into our world of brokenness and hurt, that we might, not, that we might be not only a source of healing for one another, but also for our world. May it be so. Amen.